Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast. So happy you could join us this week. A lot to get to this week with my partner and friend, Miles Simmons uh, from NBC Sports. And, and Miles, we, we are going to go over, I actually had 19 topics <laughs> to go over this week, and I erased seven of them. Uh, so let's just get to the ones we've still got left, the 12 we've got left. In order, we are going to get to the following today. Number one, dullard playoff matches. Now, I think you understand what the word dullard means, but man, I don't remember a wild card weekend, even a super wild card weekend, yeah. where I looked at the matches and said, meh, that's what I say this year. We're going to go over all the coaching vacancies and wonder if two of the teams in these playoffs could join the coaching vacancy circus. Does anybody really want to deal with Jim Harbaugh? We'll find out. My Sunday night phone call with Sean Payton. It's not exactly what you would have expected. The fate of Sean McVay. And we're going to hear from somebody who actually knows Sean McVay and formerly worked with him. Hint, his initials are MS. Uh, the good news on... Uh, on uh, DeMar Hamlin continues to flow. I was in Buffalo. We'll talk about that uh, in the second half of the podcast. And we're going to let you hear my conversation, five, six minutes, with Sean McDermott from the Buffalo Bills after that game on Sunday. Uh, Wither Tua for this weekend. Will he play? Should he play? Uh, Don Van Natta's opus on how the NFL really uh, kind of blew the return to play or not return to play uh, eight days ago as we record this on Tuesday on the DeMar Hamlin uh, saga, the night of the DeMar Hamlin saga in Cincinnati. Miles and I will each name our MVP top five. We will call out the Houston Texans. On my budget is listed the words idiot Texans. Now, Miles, how, how, how did that happen? I don't, I don't understand. I'm usually nicer than that. And we will both chat a bit about the end of J.J. Watt. And man, I'll tell you, talk about going out on top. He went out on top individually, but certainly not with the Arizona Cardinals, who, by the way, in the last 13 months, went 5-18. and 18. And... I'll also say one other thing. Remember a long time ago 
when the Arizona Cardinals at State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona, were really, that was a tough road spot for teams. Mm -hmm. Last 13 home games, 1 and 12. Anyway, Miles Simmons, good to be with you again today. Oh, and also, also, I'm sorry. We are going to be joined by my uh, vote for comeback player of the year, Nick Gates, the center of the New York Giants. We'll get to that. Uh, He will bisect our podcast between parts one and two. Miles, good to be with you. How's life going? Uh, Life is okay. It is wet and rainy in Southern California, which to some degree we need, but it also is kind of becoming a problem because we've got flood watches everywhere. But, you know, Peter, if that, if idiot Texans was one of the things that made it, man, uh, some more (laughs) mean stuff must have been on the seven topics that didn't because you're right. That's not usually you. I don't know. I got really, we'll get to this in the second part, but I got really ticked off at the Texans this weekend. All you ever heard in the off season was we're giving Lovey a chance. This is a tough situation. We all understand it. And what do they do after Lovey Smith wins two of his last three games and has his team playing hard until the end, he gets whacked. That is what an idiot franchise does period. That's all there is to it. Uh, But anyway, we're going to get to that a little bit later. I don't know what else I have to say on that, but that's, that's, that's really about it. All right, Miles, um, let's, let's look at the, uh, the playoff matches first. And I, I think probably Dallas at Tampa is the best one uh, because obviously it's going to get a gigantic number with the Cowboys in it, with Tom Brady in it, and, and and all that on Monday night on ESPN and ABC. But I I don't know. I found it. I found the scheduling to be kind of notable in two ways. There's a West Coast game kicking off Wild Card Weekend on Saturday afternoon at 1:30 Pacific time. The San Francisco 49ers and Seattle Seahawks will play. That matchup we all saw coming to kick off the playoff season a few months ago. Geno Smith at Brock Purdy. Now, I am in no way going to poke fun at either one of these guys. Geno Smith's one of the great stories of this season. Brock Purdy might be better. And and so I'm not killing him. You know, you earn what you get in the NFL and all that. But, or you get what you earn. But the fact that the 49ers and the Seahawks are the kickoff game on Saturday, when theoretically the primetime game is the one that uh, is supposed to be the, you know, the big rating game. And the primetime game is is, uh, uh, Chargers at Jacksonville. And then on Sunday, the kickoff game is Miami at Buffalo which just has a weird feel for the team that everybody is sort of kind of has adopted as their team right now, and that's the Buffalo Bills. The whole, the whole, the whole five-game, uh, six-game schedule, excuse me, just has sort of a weird feel this year. Yeah, and you know, it's funny because I, the whole day on uh, Sunday, I was anticipating that the Chargers 
and um, Jacksonville Jaguars would be kicking off at 4.30 on Saturday because right. that's usually the AFC South, you know, memorial time slot because that's the one that it always happens. And, you know, I guess the Los Angeles market, and Lord only knows how much the Los Angeles market truly cares about the Los Angeles Chargers and Los Angeles Rams for that matter. But I, I guess that might have factored into it when you take that thing into prime time. But yeah, it, it is an odd feel because I, I honestly thought that because it's Tom Brady and because it's the Dallas Cowboys, that game would be in the marquee slot of Sunday night. But it, of course, is not and instead gets the Monday night marquee slot, which I guess makes sense, but doesn't necessarily make it great for whatever team wins that one, because you're then going on the road for your, uh, presumably for your next matchup, you know, in, in the next round. So it, it's just one of those odd kind of deals, you know, I'm not, I don't really know exactly why they did it the way they did it, but Baltimore and Cincinnati on Sunday night, I mean, could be really good, but we don't know if, if Lamar Jackson's going to be healthy. And even if he is healthy, he has not practiced since suffering the injury on December 4th his knee so i don't really know what we're gonna see out of baltimore and to me that is really what makes that baltimore cincinnati matchup just kind of fall flat i wrote something in my column this week miles love to get your opinion about it and we're just going to detour very quickly and briefly to this but if i'm the ravens i've got a real problem right now in paying lamar jackson five years Two hundred and forty million, or whatever this monopoly money has become at the quarterback position. The reason I've got a real problem is so Lamar Jackson has missed five starts in each of the last two regular seasons. In addition, he's missed about three quarters of another game in that year. So, in essence, Lamar Jackson has missed a third of each of the last two seasons because of injury. And I said, if I were the Ravens, I, I would just say, hey, listen, we need to see 2023. So we're going to franchise you. And if somebody out there wants to give you, uh, you know, five years, 52 million a year and all that, we'll take the two number one draft picks uh, in return. And, and it isn't, I'm, I'm just telling you, this has nothing to do with their regard for Lamar Jackson, you know, as a as a leader in the locker room and and uh, and what he does when he plays, but this is not about the emotion of God. You know, really would love to build around Lamar Jackson. This is all about how, in my opinion, if a guy misses a third of your games two years in a row, you've got to ask yourself: Do we want to get married to this guy and make him one of the highest paid players in NFL history? I would not want to do that. Your thoughts? Yeah, the best ability is availability. Isn't that what coaches say all the time? And it, I, I don't think, I agree with you that it, it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the way that the Ravens feel about Lamar Jackson, the player, or Lamar Jackson, the person. I mean, listening to, to Harbaugh yesterday when he was talking about Lamar Jackson and how he's doing because nobody's been able to talk to him since December 4th, I mean, Harbaugh is saying, I love Lamar. I love everything about Lamar. You guys know that. And if you've ever heard Harbaugh talk about Lamar, you do know that. But I, I think it is a real issue 
that the Ravens have not been able to be at their best late in the season in the last two years because Lamar Jackson has been unavailable. And that is not necessarily saying anything bad about him. It's just the reality, right? So I think that you're right, Peter. They have to be able to factor in what is it that we believe Lamar Jackson can do as he's available and also how do we make sure that we're going to be in the best position to make a deep playoff run because we don't necessarily know what his availability is going to be. That is a really tough situation, but it does seem like they're just going to franchise him and then say, well, we got to figure this out down the road. I, I, I can't imagine that they wouldn't franchise him. I, yeah. yeah the big question is, yeah, here's the big question. Okay. I want, there's a bunch of teams in the NFL that need quarterbacks. I guess I would I would ask you if if you're a team that needs a quarterback, okay? And let's just let's just focus on a couple of teams that might think hard about Lamar Jackson, okay? And 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 ask yourself this question. If you are the New York Jets and I don't know what their pick is. It's probably around 13 or 14. But if you're the New York Jets and you have to pay Lamar Jackson $50 million a year and you have to give up your next two ones to get Lamar Jackson, would you do it? I think there's probably a lot of people in greater New York and a lot of people who love the Jets who would say, do it, do it, do yeah. it. If you're Washington, would you do that? Um, and and you know, so you could point to four or five teams that you would say, that's an interesting question, whether you should do that. But we'll have a lot of time to talk about that. I just wanted to introduce that because just my feeling, I just, I can't imagine them continuing down this road unless they have some significant guardrails in the contract that would protect the Ravens. And if you're Lamar Jackson, I don't think I would do that. I think I might right. just want to play one more year uh, on the franchise tag or take a shot. If I'm Lamar Jackson, it's almost a perfect world to get franchised because then you would smoke out who really wants you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then, and keep in mind, if he gets offered five years, two hundred and fifty million, the Ravens still could, uh, you know, basically say, "No, we will, we'll pay him that." You know, right. we'll, you know, you you did our bidding for us, and so I, it's it's an interesting story. So we'll go over that. We'll pick another podcast a couple of weeks down the road uh, to really go over that. Okay, coaching vacancies. This is. This is the time of year, obviously, that uh, you look at coaching vacancies and you look at how the world is spinning right now and you say, okay, which is the best one? Which is the one that you think you could, you could win fairly soon? And, you know, it's a really, really tough call. Originally, I might say Indianapolis, uh, because of all the talent on the roster, but that talent on the roster played crappy 
in 2022. So I don't know if that offensive line is any good anymore. I don't know if you can trust the key players on that defense, like Shaq Leonard, to stay healthy. So I don't know what they are. Now, Denver and Carolina, to me, are fascinating teams. They each have good defenses, and they each have major question marks at the quarterback position. The problem with Carolina, in my opinion right now, is that if they were to want to go get Sean Payton, I don't think the Saints would agree to trade him in the division unless, unless they got Carolina's first-round pick this year. If they got Carolina's first-round pick this year, uh, I would be very interested in that job because that defense is really good, and you can draft your quarterback of the future. So if I'm Sean Payton, I'm kind of interested in Carolina, even though I don't necessarily think that uh, that the Saints, you might have to fight the Saints to, to, uh, to make that. But anyway, I guess, you know, when you look at these right now, Miles, what's the job that if you were a coach, you might really want? Well, I think Carolina probably is the best opening in, in part because of that defense and part because of the resources that you're going to get from David Tepper, who really wants to win. Um, and that division is not very good, right? I mean, this is a division where eight and nine was the winner of that division. And, you know, who knows what Tom Brady's going to do next season, if he's going to retire or if he's going to go elsewhere. We don't know. But I, I think that divi- that particular team opening is pretty good because of all those factors however I think that that is one job where you really should say well we know who that coach should be because I think it should be Steve Wilkes I mean you know you can talk about anybody's interim job and what they've done Steve Wilkes went six and six and had that team on the verge of a division title with you know basically one hand tied behind his back I mean it's incredible the job that he did coming in when the team was one and four under Matt rule, the quarterback carousel that they had to navigate the fact that coaches continued to leave and he fired some of them as well. This was not necessarily the way he would set something up to win. And yet he was still able to do it. And you listen to what is coming out of that Carolina locker room with the love and the support that he has. I just feel like it, it, it's kind of a no brainer. You stick with what you have there. And so that it's an attractive job opening, but it also is one that should be an open and shut case. I'll give you mine in order right now. Okay. I'll I'll give you, there's four, four openings right now. And that's, it's not going to end with four, but anyway, there's four openings right now, which is not many compared to five. Hang on a minute. Yeah. Am I missing the fifth? Yes, you're right. You're right. I, I, Totally forgot about the Texans. The Texans, oh. by the way, will be number five. <laughs> it's because you think they're idiots. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, Cal McNair. I mean, come on. It, it's just ridiculous. Okay, five openings. Number one, Carolina Panthers. I love that defense. And unless you have to give away that first pick, you have the ability to bring Sam Darnold uh, and, uh, and maybe even P.J. Walker with a young quarterback who you won't have to rush into the job. And forget Matt Corral, um, who was a rookie this year, but who never got a shot because he was hurt early. Um, You never know. But 
they're probably going to have to thin that herd this offseason. Okay, my number two would be the Denver Broncos, in part because I'm not giving up on Russell Wilson. I just, oh. um, I, I don't know why, but I have this irrational, um, this irrational uh, thought, probably, that someone who really knows how to coach a quarterback, and I'm very surprised what happened with, um, you know, obviously with uh, Nathaniel Hackett, but I just have a feel, especially with that defense, that they're good enough to save. And I understand if you don't fix Russell Wilson and if he plays poorly again, I've picked the wrong lottery ticket. Uh, My number three, um, and it's close because I don't really like them too much, is the Indianapolis Colts because I believe that the general manager there is really good, uh, Chris Ballard, and he's not going to get emotional uh, about anything. I think he's going to be very clinical in his analysis of what has to be done. Uh, And also, they're in a division that it's not a long ride to the top. Um, My number four would be Arizona. I think this is a lousy organization right now. Uh, And as I said at the beginning, I mean, this, this team absolutely, totally, unequivocally fell off a cliff in the last 13 months. That isn't only because Cliff Kingsbury is a distant dude and and Steve Kime was battling health issues and don't, don't don't give me that. You know, tell me about the talent on your team. You know, and tell me is Kyler Murray a good quarterback or what it, what the hell is he? I don't know. And he's probably going to miss early next season. I laugh when I hear people say, "Oh, Kyler Murray, he's going to be back. He didn't have a terrible injury. They repaired it blah blah blah." Look, I'll say the same thing I said when everybody was saying that Odell Beckham is going to be back in December. You know, stop, stop, stop it. Just stop. You know, we don't know if Kyler Mur- when Kyler Murray is going to play. But anyway, that's not a great job. Um, and the last one, the Houston Texans. Any organization, even an organization that has the second pick in a draft, with a bunch of good quarterbacks needing a quarterback uh, with a little bit of talent on that defense. Anybody it would say, well, geez, you know, nowhere to go but up, bad division, everything. I get that. I just don't trust this organization at all. You don't fire your head coach two years in a row after one year. You don't do it. It's the, uh, why would any really good candidate want that job? I have no idea. I, I mean, I would, I would not walk away from any interview request. I would run away from an interview request with the Houston Texans. So, having said all that, let us go to one last thing about coaches. And I want to get your opinion, Miles. The only way that I would want to hire, let's say, Jim Harbaugh or Sean Payton, the only way is if I could look across the table from them and be convinced that they were absolutely all in. Um, they were ready. They were hungry. They're, you know, and all that stuff. And, and again, I think it's 
hard to predict what is going through a person's mind. But I remember Sean Payton telling me uh, how much he needed a break, you know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, and how he hated having to have a bunch of Diet Coke at two o'clock in the morning to stay awake for the last couple hours of work. You know, that's, he needed to get away. Is he ready to go? I mean, I've talked to him a bunch of times. He sounds refreshed, everything like that, but I'd really need to hear it and analyze this and, and understand, especially because it's going to cost you something to get him back. Um, but I, I want to I want to tell you a little bit about my conversation with him thir- uh, Sunday night. I was sitting in my hotel room in Buffalo writing about the Bills game, about DeMar Hamlin, and phone rings. And honestly, I don't really answer the phone on Sunday night. I just don't have time unless it's somebody I'm looking for to help me with my column. But if a friend calls or whatever, I just I let it go. I just don't have time. So... On Sunday, the phone rang. It was Sean Payton. I said, ah, I got to take this. So I took it, and he goes, hey, we can talk about that other stuff and, and all that. But he said, I need, I need your help on something. I said, what? And he goes, I got to pick an all-pro team. I got to vote this year, and I got to pick this all-pro team. So can we talk about some of these categories? I'm just going to tell you what I'm thinking. I want you to tell me your thoughts. So we went over it, MVP and defensive player, offensive rookies and all that stuff. And it was so interesting to hear him, you know, Sean Payton doing his research, you know, and wanting to have, uh, you know, a good ballot and all that stuff. I don't know what it says that he called me, but, but anyway, he <laughs> called me and then we talked about it and look, he didn't, he doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't know what any of these conversations are going to be like, whether he can really get on the same page with anybody and, and what the offer is going to be, the pros and cons. I will just say this. Sean McVay, I'm sorry, Sean McVay. Sean Payton has moved to Southern California for the season to work with Fox and just to live there. And he really likes his life. He likes his life. And there's nothing wrong for those who haven't been to Huntington Beach, California. There is Ooh. nothing wrong with Huntington Beach, California. <laughs> no, so, there's not. <laughs> if... If Sean McVay, Sean McVay, will you stop? Did it again. If Sean Payton, yeah, if Sean Payton really has an issue, you know, with his current life, if he's jonesing to get back, he's going to be able to get back. But I won't be surprised if he delays it till January 2024. That's just my thought. What do you, what do you think about Payton right now? Well, I think he has the luxury of choices, right? I mean, he is one of the most, if not the most coveted coach that's out there on the market. And if you are a team, then you should want to inquire about Sean Payton and you should want to be able to try to sell what you think a vision of an organization should be to him, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of the difference between where he is and where some other coaches are. He doesn't necessarily have to sell himself to the ownership it's they have to sell what they want and what they think they can be as a team to him 
And so when you are a head coach who's won a Super Bowl and you like your life, you know, you're living in Southern California. Trust me, I very much understand that. that that's something that he has the luxury of, you know? So I think that's kind of the difference between him and a Jim Harbaugh, which, because even though Harbaugh has had the success, he's the one that's at the college level. He's got a job. Right. And so he's kind of trying to kick his way back into the NFL because he wants to win a Super Bowl, which is something that I also understand. So I think it's easier in some way for Harbaugh to say, like, yeah, I'm going to embrace this with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind, as he likes to say, versus Sean Payton, where it's like, you know, unless it's the perfect situation, why would I give this up? I, I think that's what he's going to face the one question is, Miles, and I don't know the answer to this, is what if the Broncos figure out a way to satisfy the Saints? Hmm? And what if they say to Peyton, in essence, you got a blank check, here's $20 million a year. Mm-hmm. I, and again, I have no idea what they're going to do. I don't know. But sometimes in life, you make a decision you say, I do want to go back to coaching. I really want to be a coach again. And then maybe outside influences, like for instance, being other than Bill Belichick, the highest paid coach in NFL history. And again, I don't know exactly what the deal is. I think, I think there are about five coaches in the NFL who earn more than 15 million or more, um, That's what somebody in the coach agent business estimated for me last week. But, Mm -hmm. but who knows, whatever it is, I don't know. I don't know what would happen if somebody said that to me, it's hard, it's hard to tell. So we'll see what happens, but I, I will be watching. We'll be watching the Denver situation very, very closely. Okay. We're going to get into our guest now. Um, Nick Gates, who's a center for the New York giants. And you might be saying, why you have a Nick Gates, a center for the Giants, on the podcast? Well, I recorded a conversation with him last Friday, and I had I wanted to have Nick Gates on because to me, he's the no doubt comeback player of the year. In week two of 2021, uh, in a nationally televised game against Washington, Nick Gates uh, had his left tibia and fibula both broken the tibia was broken in two places and when nick gates looked down first you know obviously an extraordinarily painful injury uh, he saw something that no human being ever thinks that he'll see he sees a a bone that's uh you know that he basically has three breaks in bones in his lower legs so you know the fact that 13 months later He can suit up and play in a football game for the Giants and then resumes his regular job as center for the Giants. He will be the center for the Giants in the playoff game at Minnesota in wildcard weekend. I just thought it was a good time to have Nick Gates on. So let's go to my conversation with Nick Gates. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. 
Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Happy to be joined on the podcast by Nick Gates, the center of the New York Giants. And I've told you a little bit already about Nick and his story. And Nick, before we start, I just... I wanted to ask you, I mean, obviously everybody in the uh, in the football fraternity has been kind of shaken and and now a little bit um, a little bit resuscitated and made a little more happy with the news about DeMar Hamlin. But mm-hmm. how did that hit you in the last few days and how much of an effect did that have on you? Yeah, um, it was it was a. Uh crazy thing i uh never in a million years would i think something like that would happen on a football field anymore to be honest with you so like when i first saw it, it you know it's shocking and it's a little scary and you know it's very fluky but you know things happen out there and it's it's uh it's crazy to think you know that could actually happen but yeah what's uh you know, all the good news coming out now that you know he's finally breathing without the tube and you know as long as you're getting backed up to what they are and he finally talked to the bills guys today which is is awesome news to hear yeah yeah um, can we go back in time a little bit to, to your injury? And I know that you've probably relived it quite a bit, but you're now about 400 days away, you know, past one of the most gruesome injuries that a lot of people have ever seen on an NFL field, uh-huh. um, with your broken leg. And I wanted to know if you could if you could just sort of take me into that that game against Washington in Washington, where this injury occurred and what you remember about it. Yeah, no, I uh, I remember everything. So I didn't really have, I didn't really pass, I didn't pass out. I didn't, you know, black out or anything like that. How some people usually say when they have an injury like that. Like, I remember everything. Like, I remember exactly what happened. And, you know, I, I heard the crack, crack pop which makes sense because my tibia broke in two places and then my fibula broke. So they said like that would make sense with the, you know, three noises I heard. And then next thing I knew I was on my back and I, I remember my holding my leg by the knee and I just seen my half, half my shin just, you know, folding and going to the left. And I couldn't, I really, I, I knew what was going on, but I was like, also like, it was kind of in shock. Like I couldn't believe like my leg was looking like that. Was there pain or was it more oh, shock? Yeah, it, was, oh, it was the most excruciating pain I've ever felt like in my life. So yeah. It's uh, I've never felt anything like that before, and I sure hope no, I don't have to feel anything like that again. And what was the reaction like on the field? Because you see in the video that, you know, a few of the guys on Washington, a few of the guys everywhere are just like waving to the sidelines for you. What what do you recall yeah. that? See, I don't remember like seeing anybody or looking at anybody and, you know, their reactions and things like that. I remember once I got 
put on put in the air cast and on the on the back of the cart like everybody coming out and you know saying you know tapping me on my shoulder pads and you know saying good luck and like hey let's you know you're you know, you're a tough guy and things like that you can in the video Shep was you know talking to me and saying that I do vividly remember Shep coming up and saying you know things to me and you know just all the guys but I don't remember what everybody's reaction was right after it you know I was a little in a little bit of pain you know laying on the ground so is when something like that happens is it is it more of a shock first or is it more okay this happened now I have to deal with it what what goes through your mind yeah no I definitely was shocked at first when it like immediately happened and then kind of once once I like you know situated myself and could calm myself down and I was like all right well it's time you know you got to go figure out what they're going to do to fix my leg and and you know try to get back on the football field was my first kind of initial thought yeah so which is you know People probably think it's crazy that I was, you know, my first thought would be good getting back on a field, but you know, that's you know, that's you know, my job and that's what you know I've always lived and you know wanted to do. You your career has been kind of overcoming the odds anyway. Mm-hmm. You uh were undrafted out of Nebraska in twenty eighteen. And uh you know, you weren't handed anything, obviously but you progressed and you kept progressing. Uh, you were a backup player in 2019. Then you got shifted to center mm-hmm. uh, in 2020 and you became the regular center there for the next couple of years until week two of the 2021 season. But why do you think that you were able to come in and fight and earn first a little bit of playing time and then earn a starting job at center for the Giants. Yeah, I feel like I've always kind of been the underdog guy. Always, you know, going into college, I was that, you know, I was a three-star and I, I'm not sure, I was, I was recruited, but I wasn't, you know, five-star dude or anything like that. So I've always kind of just worked hard and worked, you know, I felt like I've worked, had to work from behind and, you know, never really had a big expectation on me to do things. And, but I, I, I've always liked being underdog because, you know, there's not a big expectation on you. And, you know, when you, you know, succeed and, and, you know, you show success, it's a, it's a, it's a good thing. So I, uh, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I don't really know what else. I'm a hardworking dude and I've always worked hard and, you know, I'm, I, I play hard and I feel like they like that. And, you know, especially as an undrafted guy, you, you have to, like, I don't know what else, how else you're supposed to play. And, you know, you got to show them you can play football in the, you know, the National Football League. This injury in week two of 2021 resulted in your tibia being broken. Uh, It was in three pieces (laughs) and your fibula was also broken. And do you recall at the time, either in the hospital or, or after, did the thought ever go through your mind? I'm not going to be playing football anymore. Uh, no, definitely. There was some, definitely, it wasn't even that, that soon on, but it was more like, you know, when I had that last surgery, my seventh surgery, when I had that, uh, that rod removed and I had the infection in my tibia, yeah. I thought for like, I didn't think I'd be playing this year. I didn't know if I was going to be able to get back to, you know, get, get, get back to, you know, playing ability uh, for this year. But, you know, I had a, you know, training staff helped me out and we did a good job, you know, finally, you know, doing stuff and finally got back out there. But, now there's definitely times I was going to retire and you know, I thought about retiring and thought about, you know, giving up on football and, you know, just, just going home and, you know, just starting a normal life. But there's the, we would sit, I'd sit in the boxes, you know, first, you know, three, four weeks of the, the, the year and 
I was like, I don't I was like, this, this sucks. I don't want to sit and watch football. I'd much rather, you know, be out there playing with the guys. Like what other, what other job in the world do you get to go out there and hit people and have fun and, you know, talk crap and just, you know, run around and do whatever you want basically on the football field. So I was like, screw it. I'm like, it doesn't matter what I'm, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Wow. What did doctors tell you in 2021? What were they saying to you last October, November, December as the healing process began? Yeah, they were all optimistic about me coming back and playing football as long as I was, you know, healed correctly and was able to. And, you know, there wasn't any, uh, like, significant changes and, and things like that to my leg. So they were all – after – I so I asked them. I had the compartment surgery so the, or the fasciotomy where they had sliced my leg yeah. open. So they, they said they didn't have to cut anything out. And they were like, yeah, you, you'll be able to play football. You know, we're very, you know, we're very optimistic about you playing football again. Yeah. So – Tell me a little bit about what it was like when you finally started putting weight on it, when you finally started working out again. You've got a gigantic scar that runs along the left side of your left leg Uh from a little bit below the knee all the way down to your ankle. It is, it is brutal to look at. And, and I wonder, I wonder I mean, you had to see that and you had to say, okay, I mean, it, those people are saying I can play, but did you really think deep down it was it was going to work? Yes and no. Um, the rehab process, those first probably six months where it was rough, like it was, I, we were trying to push through pain and, you know, because they, they said the pain's going to be there, but there's nothing you could like structurally do to your, your bone anymore that could hurt it. So like, you know, as long as you can handle the pain, there's, you know, you could work through it and, you know, you could keep going. So that's a, that was like one of the things I had overcome was just the pain day in and day out and just relearning how to walk and, you know, and relearning how to like teach my body to walk again and things like that. I wonder the mental aspect of this, what exactly it was like for you, because look, you know, I, I know from talking to players over the years, a lot of times when you're injured, it isn't as though you're, you know, you've, you've, everybody wants to send you away, but it's just, you're not a part of it. You can't be a part of it. You know, you, you, you're not playing, you're, you're not with your guys. Maybe you're in the meeting room, but you're not with them. I remember a story a long time ago. I used to cover the Giants and Phil Sims was hurt during the Super Bowl when they played the Buffalo Bills. And uh, Bill Parcells basically didn't want him around the team. I mean, at least around at practice and everything like that. Because, okay, you're hurt. We're sorry, but we got to get ready for this game, you know? And how is that? You're, you know, you're, 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 you're like, you're a captain. And then you get into it and all of a sudden they're getting along without you. The train is rolling down the tracks without you. What is it like for you mentally? Yeah, no, the mental game, I think was was probably harder than the physical game. Like, I mean, the physical stuff that comes easy to me and everything like that. Like it just, it's, it's just an easy for me to overcome the physical stuff and push through it. Just being, you know, I, I pride myself on being like a tough guy. So, you know, pushing through pain, it wasn't that hard. It was the mental game a day in and day out, waking up and going into to rehab when it's tough and hard and, you know, just being around the guys and not being able to, to contribute was, 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 was rough. You know, it, it, it definitely sucked. There was times and I was like, 
damn, like, I don't feel part of the team anymore and things like that. And more necessarily like the beginning of the season this year when I was I was doing all the, you know, on-field drills and things like that. And I was trying to get back to being with the guys. I felt like like I was still part of the team, but I also felt like I wasn't at the same time. I felt like I was kind of alone and, you know, because I wasn't out there with my brothers, you know, practicing day in and day out. And when you're out there, like, doing that with each other, I feel like it it creates a different bond with each other. Just, you know, knowing that other guys going through the same thing as, as you are. And I just, just not being out there with those guys, it's, it's kind of a little different, you know, situation. I want you to correct me now if I'm wrong, but I believe um, October 30th, Giants go to Seattle. I think it's week eight. Uh-huh. And you played several plays in that game. Is that right? Yes, sir. That was your first time back on the field. Do you recall what thought went through your mind when you jogged out onto the field to play football again? Um, not really. I don't remember the exact thought then, but I just remember just trying to like soak it all in and just just appreciate just being back on the field again and just trying to take it all in. So my family, there were sixteen of them, family and friends that all came out, and you know, I was just trying to get the you know experience that with them and experience just being back out there after a long journey of you know not playing football. But I remember after, like, when we, like, I moved my guy and we scored. And I just remember just laying on the ground, like, oh, this is such a great, like, I missed, I missed the feeling. I get, I'm getting chills thinking about it. But I just missed the feeling of being on a football field and be able to hit people and scoring a touchdown. Like, it was just, it was just fun. It was just, just so fun again. And then when just, you saw, I don't know if you've seen the clip. When I did it, I fell on the ground and I looked like a little kid throwing a tantrum. Like, you know, just like, I'm just, you know, swinging my arms and kicking my legs. I was just, there was so much you know, emotions running through my body and just like yeah, proud and happy and just like all the, uh, the hard times I had to overcome, you know, along the journey, it all paid off finally. I find myself thinking about the Seahawks and I think of this guy, Puna Ford, who uh-huh. I'm sure you watch tape of. And yep. this guy is like a fire hydrant. He is a, he's a, he is a really, really strong player. Oh, yeah. And look, that's every defensive tackle in the league is going to be really, really strong. But I wonder, were you concerned at all to go up in real live football plays against guys and to have to put all the pressure on that left leg and whether it was going to survive? Um, No, I actually wasn't worried about that at all. Cause I had, I think it was, we had the four weeks before I got activated off the pup list. So I was, you know, working out with Mike and all the, the, the trainers and the the training staff and things like that, that we were trying to get myself in the, the most possible real situation, like real football situations and trying to stress my leg and, you know, trying to put as much pressure into my, my leg and getting that ankle flexion and everything back, trying to just rep what am I trying to say? Trying to just try to get as much of a football movement and football play as we could. And you can only do so much, but I remember, my first practice back, I knew once, you know, once that happened, I knew I could play football again and most likely at a, a high level. And I wasn't, you know, once that happened, I really wasn't too worried about it. And so just a couple of weeks after Seattle, Giants played at Dallas and you played the full game, yep. <clears throat> all 64 snaps. It's one thing to go in there for a little cameo appearance five plays, 13 plays, whatever you played early on. But now to go in, uh, I think that was Thanksgiving Day, in fact, at Dallas, 
And now to go in and play the complete game, you walked off the field that day. You remember what you were feeling and, 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 and how you were feeling that day? No, I definitely do. I think that was probably one of my best games I've ever played, you know, as, as a NFL player. I think even college, it's probably one of my better games I've played my whole career, um, if I had to to say. So I felt pretty accomplished and pretty, you know, proud of myself. And I didn't know – I have a saying, it's never as good, it's never as bad as you think it is. So I was not trying to get too high or too, you know, too high before I watched the film. But after I watched the film, I was like, oh, yeah, I had, I had probably one of my better my better games I've ever played uh, ever. So that was probably like my feeling come off the field. And uh, so now, how do you how do you feel physically right now? And do you feel like you're as healthy as you have been, you know, in your career? How does it how do you feel right now as you get toward the end of this uh, of this comeback season for you? Um, to be honest, I really don't feel my leg anymore. It doesn't bother me. There was, I think last week, a guy got kicked and rolled my ankle a little bit a certain way. Like my toes turned in and said, like, you know how you usually roll your ankle and it's out? My toes turned in and like twisted my tibia a different way than than I have before. And so my tibia was sore for like a day or two after. But other than that, like it hasn't bothered me. It hasn't caused me any, like any pain or anything like that. So, which is, it's kind of weird to think about, you know, that there's a big, big hole rod down my leg and you know, my leg was snapped in half at one point. It, it doesn't bother me at all anymore, which is crazy. So, I mean, it's actually stronger than it was before, like realistically. So, like literally, if, unless you, you know, run a car over it or a truck over it, that thing is not snapping or breaking ever again. Let's not try that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, let's hope not. But, you know, yeah. So it was, uh, yeah, it doesn't even bother me. I don't even think about it anymore, to be honest with you. I had an AC sprain, so it's kind of crappy, but it's kind of nice at the same time. I was too worried about that. So I never really even thought about my leg after that. So, um, what do you think when people mention you for the comeback player of the year award in the NFL? Uh, no, it'd be a pretty cool award, you know, to win and everything. But at the same time, it is what it is. It's you know, it's, it's an award. I'm you know much rather I'm focused on you know winning playoff games and going to try to win a Super Bowl. Nick, for those who don't really know and haven't really followed your team very closely this year. You know, you've been there now a while. And I wonder what difference do you think has, has Brian Dable made in the day-to-day operation of your team? Um, I think my, the one thing that he has done and helped is just everybody could just be themselves. Like every, you just let your personality shows and like, there's no, clicks and there's nothing like that in the locker room like literally everybody in the locker room gets along and like I'm not saying we didn't get along in past past history but it was like I don't know everybody could be their self and I think everybody likes that and everybody gets along and that's like kind of what the one thing he's changed and not everybody's around around here walking on fake shows like you can be yourself and walking you know as long as you show up and do your job and you'd be a pro on the football field he's like he's you could be yourself you know it's just which is which is awesome so as somebody who has to now snap the ball to Daniel Jones, I think the outside world sees him and we're pretty sure before this year, well, this is probably going to be it for Daniel Jones. Uh, You know, the giants will have another quarterback next year, whatever. He has played very, very well, both running and passing. Um, The interceptions are way down. What do you see this year when you look at Daniel Jones What's what has the improvement been like when you watch him? Um, 
yeah, no, Daniel's my dude. I'm so happy. Just first of all, he's so happy and proud of him and, and all the adversity he's had to overcome and all the doubters that he's he's finally, you know, gotten the silence after playing really well this season. Um, I always knew he he had it in him. I always knew he had the skills and the mindset and everything. You know, he just needed some some coaching and needed some, uh, you know, good players around him to help him out and, you know, and help him succeed. But he's uh, – He's one of a kind. I don't think I've ever been around a quarterback like him. He uh first one I know he's I know every quarterback, but he's the first one in the last one out. You know he's gonna be prepared no matter what. And he's you know, he's gonna do anything he can to win a football game and you know you, you love blocking for guys like that. And he never criticizes you for anything. And even if you mess up and he gets smacked or anything, yeah, man gets up and gets right back in the huddle and looks at you and says, All right, let's go. Like he he doesn't he doesn't get after you, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't point fingers, he, he takes all the blame and I think that makes a good quarterback and you know he's he's a good quarterback so I think it's so interesting how you know he probably is never going to be a great like uh MC at a banquet breaking jokes and having a lot of quips and everything like that but hey, I just surprised. listened to him what's that you'd be surprised he has a pretty good personality he's pretty funny He's just a little quiet around the cameras and the media and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, he's a, he's it a just, funny cat. It just strikes me that that you know, in front of us and in front of the world, he just wants to be Mister Flatliner. Mm-hmm. So, give me an example of what he's like inside your locker room. Yeah, he's he's a smiley, happy dude. Like he, you know, he'll sit there and crack jokes with you if, if you're over there and talking with him and. You know, he's, he is pretty even keeled for the most part. I think that's that's a good quality in a quarterback because you can never get too high and never get too low. And, you know, like you, know, it, you never know. It's never as good or as bad as you think it is. And you know, I think he does that pretty well. And uh, I don't know. I know there's not like specific examples, but he's he's just, you know, he's he's fun to be around and everybody enjoys being around him. And you know, I think everybody knows that now. Well, Nick Gates, you're going to be a fun team to watch in the playoffs this year. You're going to be a fun team to watch in the future because, I mean, you guys were kind of lost at sea, and now you're not lost at sea. You're found, and that defense is really good. You guys have a great running game. You're passing it well. I I think you might be trouble for, for somebody in the playoffs this year. Oh yeah, let's hope so. You know, hopefully we can go on a little run here. So we're uh, we're playing good football. We got a good quarterback and good leader in him. And you know, Saquon he's a he's a freak athlete. So we gotta start getting the ball to him and get him the ball in space and stuff like that, and see what we could uh, we could go do. Nick Gates, all the best to you. Really glad to see you back out there, and uh, good luck this the rest of the way. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on today. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World? Like, hey, we came to play. Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks.
Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. My thanks to Nick Gates. The amazing thing is listening to him say, I don't even feel it anymore. I don't have any problem. My leg feels absolutely normal. Seven surgeries? I, 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 it's, it's just amazing to me that Nick Gates is back and, and look, rightfully so everybody talks about the remarkable uh, medical care that helped save DeMar Hamlin's life. Uh, These guys who, who saved uh, uh, Nick Gates's leg and have him back on the football field hats off to you as well. So I wonder now, there's a really interesting story written by Jordan Rodriguez, The Athletic, about the fate of Sean McVay coming after their last game Sunday in Seattle. And obviously a bad year for the Rams, um, a lost year for the Rams. And now we're talking about the fate of Sean McVay. He seems to want to sit back now. I was told by somebody with knowledge of this situation that the Rams would really like Sean McVay to get away for a while. Uh, two, three, four weeks. There's no hurry. Uh, whatever they do, because look, Miles, I, I believe that if Sean McVay leaves, if he departs the Rams, that they're going to give the job to, eventually, they're going to give the job to Raheem Morris, their current defensive coordinator, beloved figure inside that organization after two seasons. But, but, I, I wonder, you worked for the Rams. You worked... Uh, in Sean McVay's organization. You saw him every day. What do you make of the current situation and whether he'll be back or not? Well, I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, that, that's my understanding too, is that McVay needs to get away for a little bit. And, you know, there's just a lot of things that happened over the course of this season that added up to what he termed his biggest professional failure. And it's not something that he has had to go through. And I think part of this is his age, right? I mean, he's about to turn 37 later this month. But when you get that coaching job at the age of 30, and then you turn 31 later that month, and you have been able to really just ascend so rapidly, and that ascension continues until you get to the pinnacle of what it is that is your profession. You win the Super Bowl. It's kind of then like what's next. And that was really the point of that story that Jordan Rodriguez of The Athletic, you know, was talking about after Sean McVay's press conference on Sunday. It's kind of like, well, man, you you get to this and you're kind of like, all right, well, what's next? And how who am I now that this has happened? And, you know, there's some real life stuff that he's been going through over the course of this year. You know, yeah. when your grandfather you're close to passes away, that's something. You know, his wife's family is from Ukraine. They're in a literal war zone right now. That's some real life stuff. And then as a coach, it's very difficult when you come to work and you don't know who's going to be available. That's not something that most coaches go through. But you talk about all the different OL combinations that they had. Cooper Cup gets hurt. Matthew Stafford gets hurt. Aaron Donald gets hurt. You just It's one of those things where, yeah, as a coach, you want to be able to put guys in the best position to win, but also you don't, when you don't know who's going to be on the field, it makes it that much tougher. So 
it's been a very difficult year for Sean McVay. If he gets away and he has the time to just decompress, get a little bit of clarity, and the Rams will give him all the time that he needs to do that, then he can probably make a proper decision. But Peter, I'll tell you, in the last couple of days when I've watched Sean McVay press conferences, and I sat through hundreds of them in person, they've been unlike any other Sean McVay press conference I've ever seen. It's just very clear that he needs the time to get away and decompress in order to really make the best decision for himself going forward. That's such a good point. Um, I listened to him and it was 12 minutes of kind of unspooling. I'd say, look, we're not going to hear everything that he thinks, you know, down to, uh, you know, the nub, but I'd say that was about a 60% level of what he was really thinking. You know, and I don't mean he's he's misleading anybody at all. I don't think he has decided firmly what he's going to do. Um, but I, I do think that it's it's going to be very interesting to watch. I'll just give you my thought. After the incredible game that uh, that the Rams won when they beat the Raiders and. Uh, obviously Baker Mayfield had been in the, you know, in the organization for 10 minutes and he goes out and wins this game. And it was just one of those weird moments where you just say, man, I love sports. You know, it was, it was one of those things that you just, it was phenomenal. It was great. So I remember after that game, reaching out to Sean, texting him and say, man, I'd love to talk to you about this. You know, I learned a lot about him that weekend because we went back and forth on text quite a bit. And finally he said, I'm not going to say anything. Um, This, this, first of all, it should be uh, Baker Mayfield's moment. Okay. And that's what he wanted it to be. And that's what it should have been. But the other part of it is they're getting their teeth kicked in every week. And they have this sort of, uh, I'll probably get crap for saying this, they have this fluky win, you know, and 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 Sean McVay, the last thing he wants to do is stand up and pound his chest and say, look at me, in the middle yeah. of one of the worst seasons a Super Bowl champion has ever had, you take credit for something or, or, or you know, that I would give him credit for. He didn't want it. And I thought that was I thought that was smart and big of him. And look, Jay Glazer's close to Sean McVay, closer than I am. Uh, so I don't doubt anything he says uh, about it. And he basically uh, made it seem very likely that that uh, Sean McVay was going to step away. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, and and I think he deserves the right to take his time and to do what is right for he or for him uh, and for his new wife, for her family, for all, for their extended family. And here's the other thing. I mean, he's still just a kid in this business. Right. And just look and see how many more years he has, especially if he's able to get away and have a decent life for a year or two or three. So anyway, I guess I would say, like everybody else, my guess is he's probably going to go, but we'll see what happens. Okay, 
Let's get to the Buffalo Bills. So I went to Buffalo over the weekend, Miles, and I was like everybody else. I'm there watching the game on Sunday in the press box, and this weird thing happened, and I wrote about it in my column. This weird thing happened. Um, I was looking right as they were lining up to kick, and there was a balloon floating over the stadium, and like it wasn't really windy, so it was kind of lingering. It had been let, you know, let out, um, and it flew up into the sky, and obviously was some sort of helium thing. But it also had three balloons attached to it, and the balloon was a gigantic silver number three. And it was just kind of bobbing over the stadium. And I just thought, this is so incredibly surreal that for as dumb a cliche as this is, DeMar Hamlin, number three, is just, his presence was everywhere on Sunday, in the parking lots before the game, the number three jerseys in the stands, fans holding up big number threes, a lot of fans doing this at the kickoff, you know, just holding up three fingers, okay? Yeah. So, you know, you feel this, you just feel it. Now you say, oh, my God, this guy even is in the airspace over the stadium. And so Naheem Hines takes the ball at the – at the four yard line and he runs it back 96 yards. And I, I don't know. I, I looked around at that moment. I looked everywhere and I looked down uh, in the stands and I'm serious. You think that you were in the student section of the university of Wisconsin when they played jump around because <laughs> all you saw was, it was like, 70,000 people had pogo sticks. They are all jumping up and down and just going out of their minds. They just can't believe, nobody could believe it. It's like Jack Believe. I don't, Jack Buck, I don't believe, comma, what I just saw. You know, the Kirk Gibson moment. But, and so, so let me, obviously, and then he does it again and it's just, whatever. So after the game, I get to Naheem Hines. I interviewed him for NBC. I wrote about it at the top of my column. Um, and uh, if, if you haven't read it, I, I'm, I kind of enjoyed the top of my column, he said braggingly, or bra- in a braggadocious <laughs> way, whatever that word hey, would be. It was good. But, it was good. Flex on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so what happened, he, he, he said to me, he goes, uh, he goes, I, when I got here, I got here two months ago. I didn't know anybody. And one of the first guys to talk to me in the organization, not just a player, was DeMar Hamlin. And he came up, introduced himself. Uh, I was in the hot tub. And he introduced himself <laughs> on the first day. And almost every day, he's come by, had a conversation. Hey, how you doing? What's happening? Whatever. And he said... Almost every day he said something to me. This is the week. You're going to break one. You're going to do it this week. This is it. And they even had this fun thing going back and forth about hashtag free Heinz. They would say that to each other. 
and last week, the week before he got hurt, that's exactly what DeMar Hamlin did. He walked up to uh, uh, Naeem Hines before that game in Buffalo and said, hashtag free Hines. And so I, I have to say that, you know, I'm not Naeem Hines, but talking to him, being with him, he, he said, I have got to make something happen. I've got to do something right here for us and for DeMar. <clears throat> and obviously the next thing you know, 14 seconds into the game uh, is one of the great moments in Buffalo Bills history. So we're going to hear from Sean McDermott in a moment, but you're 3,000 miles away, Miles. What are you feeling? What are you thinking? What was it like for you sort of watching that game? I'm curious from somebody who wasn't there but who covers the league, what it was like during the week and what, what it was like in that game. Well, at that moment, I think I tweeted this, you know, it was there, there wasn't a dry eye in my living room and there were only two of them. So, you know, I mean, that was just, <laughs> that was, that was an incredible moment. It, it really was. And it was an incredible play. And, you know, you think about all of the emotions that went into that game, you know, from the Buffalo Bills standpoint, it, it was obviously a highly, highly emotional week. And then to get the lift of the news that DeMar Hamlin was doing okay, that he was able to communicate, that he was able to FaceTime with his team. And then for that to happen, you sort of see the sideline react. I mean, it was just one of the more surreal moments and surreal plays that I can ever remember witnessing. So it was, it was pretty incredible, even, you know, being all the way out here by the Pacific Ocean. You know, I one of the things that was really interesting about this is that, you know, after the game, we're going to hear from Sean McDermott in a moment. But it's amazing to me that uh, Sean McDermott, had they won the coin toss before the game, the Bills were going to defer. Yeah. And, you know, as I said to him afterwards, man, I bet you're glad you lost the coin flip. And he says, yeah, I really am. <laughs> anyway, let's hear from Sean McDermott. Uh, for a few minutes before we um, get to a couple of last topics and wrap up the podcast. Here's my conversation post-game with Sean McDermott uh, at Highmark Stadium in Buffalo. With Sean McDermott of the Bills. So, Sean, what did you learn about yourself as a football coach this past week? You've been in the NFL for 21 years. What did this week teach you? Um, the value of people. It really did. Um, and how important people are and um, you know I, I think I've known this before but it but it reaffirmed it for me that you care for the player and the person first the, the person first and then and the player second and and um, the value of people um, is amazing did you feel the outpouring of warmth and affection to your team in the last few days absolutely Peter absolutely I mean the the amount of support that we've received inside the league, around the league, um, you know, watching the, you know, the, the Jaguars and the Titans in a win and end game last night, stop enough before the game and come to come to midfield and, and pray together. Uh, it says a lot about our league and it really says a lot about people in our world. So when Zach Taylor goes to you on Monday night and you say to him, I don't feel good about playing this game. I got to be with my player. I think that really struck home with people. Was that just a natural thing for you to say at that moment? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I feel, you know, at the end of the day, and this may not come out right, but um, I'm responsible for the health and well-being of these players and, and staff. And, um, you know, I wish to this day that I could have protected DeMar from that situation. And, um, you know, I take that, I, take, I don't take that lightly whatsoever. And, um, but Zach was phenomenal uh, in how he handled it. And, and if I was DeMar's mom and dad, and, uh, you know, I would have, I would want that coach to be with my son, especially if they, I didn't know that they were there, but especially if they couldn't be there, that, that the coach went with them. What was the toughest thing about this week for you? Uh, I mean, I'll get home tonight, hopefully have a chance. Uh, I know we're playing the Dolphins this week, but I have a chance just to um, take a deep breath a little bit, um, but probably trying to balance um, uh, DeMar's situation and getting this team ready to go. Uh, and then my own self, third. Um, um, but so hopefully I take some time for myself tonight. Um, I think that keeping things in, in the proper order priority-wise was not hard that way, but it was challenging in terms of having enough of me, I felt like, um, to go around. But that's where we have such a strong team around me that this doesn't, didn't happen just because I did this or I did that. This is a, a culmination of a great team working together. A lot of people were watching this game all around the country and all around the world, and they see the kickoff return by Naheem Hines to begin the game. You said after the game that you would have deferred. So had you won the coin toss, you know, you, you would have wanted the Patriots to get the ball first. I bet you're glad. Maybe this is the first time that you're glad you lost the coin flip. <laughs> Well, we haven't been winning many of those, Peter, this year, so I'll take what happened today, but I'll go back and talk to our captains about uh, we'll have to do a uh, teaching uh, class this week on how to win a, a coin toss, I guess, but I'm glad they lost this one. So did you have any idea that something like that could happen? Um, like I said in there, um, I thought to myself, you know, you go through situations in your head as a head coach, you know, trying to manage the game is my number one job, and... Um, thinking to myself how, how special it would be if, if we took the opening kickoff back. And um, I know the guys were working hard on it this week, and it was almost like, man, I wonder if that's going to come together at just the right time. And, and it, it surely did, and it was fun to be a part of it. We're in a divided country right now. These are divided times. What do you think this week has done for the United States? Yeah, um, I think it's a great example for everyone to see. It's been a great example, Peter. Um, the power of the gap being closed by love and when people can put their agendas aside for the greater and common good of, of, of other people and how, how good we can be. Um, when we do that, and, and um, I hope that continues. I hope this is a great example and reminder to people of the power of prayer and, and the power of love, and, and that can close a huge gap. Sean McDermott, you guys inspired America. Congratulations on this win. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. My thanks to Sean McDermott, and I have to tell you, man, I walked out of there, and uh, I, I just thought, Sean McDermott needs a beer. Yeah, he might need five of them, <laughs> but I hope he yeah. got to relax a little bit Sunday night as he said he was going to do so. Um, so, 
was curious your reaction to Don Van Natta's uh, story on ESPN.com. Uh, we are recording this on Tuesday morning. And when I woke up Tuesday about 6.15 Eastern, I read the story and thought it was powerful. And he made the point in the story that the 66-minute delay between the time that uh, DeMar Hamlin was hurt in Cincinnati and between the time this game was postponed and, and eventually canceled, uh, that there was a lot of discussion going back and forth. And it was clear that the league didn't say right away that, oh, we won't be playing any football. It sounded very much from this story that, you know, the league uh, was very open to playing the game. I don't know that they ordered anybody to, or that the conversation was, oh, we will resume this game. I, I don't know that those words were said, but it was clear that the NFL was looking for a path to resume this game. And the coaches uh, and the captains of these two teams basic, basically said it wasn't, going to be, it wasn't going to happen. And it really paints the league's executive vice president, uh, Troy Vincent, in a very bad light. Um, that uh, he, he, he basically was, was wavering and he was kind of all over the place. Uh, I, I wonder, give me your uh, thoughts after reading the Van Natta story, and I would encourage people to read it at ESPN.com. Yeah, I, I'd encourage people to read it too. It, it really does paint a great picture of what was going on in the bowels of that stadium as you had two teams that had basically witnessed something that nobody ever wants to witness, especially on a football field, and it was traumatic. And because of that, you needed the leadership of Sean McDermott, of Zach Taylor, of those captains from both sides. And they basically came together and said, we're, we're not going to do this anymore. And it doesn't matter what the league wants to do, you know, what the league might be telling us to do. We're not going to do this today because we know that it's not right for us. And I think that shows really strong leadership from those teams, but it also shows a bit of a lack of leadership and a lack of a lack of compassion, honestly, from the league, you know, and, and the fact that it took as long as it took. Yeah, you can say, well, there were discussions. There was a process. It was this it was that. But, you know, last week I said that I'm, I'm willing to give some grace because this was such an unprecedented situation, and, and I still am. Right. But in reading that story, it, it I'm not as willing to give as much grace, I suppose I would say, as, as I was before, because it makes it clear that there were things that were maybe being pushed that had to, you know, be stopped a little bit more at that stadium than I think anybody would want in an ideal world. Yeah, we're probably never going to know everything, but um, I think, I guess as I look back on it, um, I think, and it was about 40 minutes of discussion before they really decided that they were not going to play the game. Mm -hmm. um, so I think my biggest point would be that that struck me as a time when you probably should know that it's a mistake to play football again tonight. Yeah. So anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes, but I, I thought that was a very good story. Um, 
you know, two final things I just wanted to hear your thoughts about, Miles. Um, you think Tua should play this weekend? And even if he can play, I just got a bad feeling about this. I don't, I don't, I, I, and again, <laughs> I, I don't know what the brain scans say or anything like that, but man, it just feels like it's too soon. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a medical expert, but man, it's just one of those situations <laughs> where it's very tough to think that Tua Tungavailoa should be on a football field right now. And I, I and I, I kind of hesitate to say that because I, I don't know, you know, what, what do I know? I'm sitting here in Southern California and I don't, I, I don't know brain scans. I don't know, you know, what exactly the, the marks that he needs to make um, in order to be cleared to be back on a football field. I don't, I don't know that. But just from a, uh, I don't like how it feels standpoint, like right. that's kind of where I'm at, where it's, man, I, I know that I don't have that expertise, but at a certain point, just as a human, you're kind of like, I don't, I just, I don't think it looks right, Peter, you know, uh, that's kind of my feeling yeah. on it. it. Even if it, even if I don't have that expertise, does that make any sense? Yeah, it just. It just gives me a bad feeling. I think we're both yeah. in agreement on that. Um, all right, I'm going to give you my MVP top five in order, and then I want to hear yours. Uh, number one, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, he will get my vote uh, when I file my uh, ballot to the Associated Press on Wednesday. Uh, but we're voting for a top five this year. Number two on my list is going to be Joe Burrow. Number three, Josh Allen. Number four, Jalen Hurts. And number five, breaking into the quarterback mafia, uh, is Nick Bosa, the uh, edge rusher of the 49ers, the best uh, edge rusher in football and on the best defense in football, at least right now. So those would be my top five. Miles, give me yours. Uh, our top two are the same. So I would say Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he's got more touchdowns and more passing yards than about anybody else. And he led his team to the number one seed in the AFC and a loaded AFC. And I think that that means a lot. Joe Burrow has played about as well as anybody. Uh, I would say Jalen Hurts, though, is my number three, in part because he has fewer turnovers than Josh Allen, who I would have at number four. And when I said turnovers the last time, I think I said it on PFT Live, and people got mad at me, and they started coming at me with Joe Burrow's interceptions and Patrick Mahomes' interceptions. Josh Allen had 13 fumbles and lost five of them this year, guys. So like that is a significant part of turnovers and you have these lapses. That's why, and Josh Allen's great. I mean, I don't want to, this is nitpicking, right? When you're talking about most valuable player. Right. So it is nitpicking, but that's one area where you look at Josh Allen and you say there could have been improvement. So that's where I would have him at number four um, after uh, Jalen hurts. And then my number five would actually be Justin Jefferson. So I'm also breaking into the quarterback mafia, but I think his season was so much of the reason why Minnesota is where it is. All right, and so that's why I would have him at, at, at five. But I can't really necessarily argue that much with Nick Bosa because he was outstanding. I I, I love Justin Jefferson, and um, I have no problem with him being in the top five whatsoever. All right, I told you my reasons why the Texans are idiots. You got a couple? <laughs> well, I mean, you could also say that converting fourth and 20 – you know, to win that game, that wasn't necessarily the smartest thing in the world. But as Lovey Smith said, I'm never going to tell players to not go out there and win the game. You know, 
So I, I think that that's a really bad situation there. And, you know, if Nick Casario is going to have a third opportunity to hire a head coach in three years, when one was David Cully and the second one is Lovey Smith. And let's be frank about this too. That's two black men who have only had one season to do something there with the Houston Texans in what we know is a horrible situation. So the fact that Lovey Smith had those dudes competing, they gave Kansas City all that Kansas City could handle. They gave Dallas all that Dallas could handle in consecutive weeks. And yet, here we are talking about the same thing with the Houston Texans. And if they want to go and hire Josh McCown, then go and do it and suffer the consequences. Because I think that if you're going to have these convictions, at least stand by them. So, yeah, I, I also think that the Houston Texans are idiots. Yeah. I, I just don't like when you – when you hire two coaches in a row and they both leave after one year and everybody else, except for Jack Easterby keeps his job. It's, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. Um, okay. Last point, JJ Watt. Um, I just wanted to pass along this one memory I have of Watt a few years ago uh, when he was still with the Texans, I went to <clears throat> his off season home in, in Wisconsin outside of Milwaukee and kind of lives out in the middle of nowhere. I, I, I assume he still lives there in the off season, but I don't know, but he showed me everything about his off season world and, you know, the workout stuff and, and all that stuff. And I remember him looking to me, looking at me and he said it almost flippantly, but <clears throat> he said, you know, all this meaning how good he was at that point, said, all this doesn't happen by accident. And he just has so much of a design and a desire, has figured out the design and a desire to be great. If you have those two things and you have some athletic ability, I think you're going to go pretty far in the NFL, and that's what he did. I thought it was beautiful how he walked off the field to a great ovation and to a crowd on the road in Santa Clara, uh, where these people don't really know him, but they were just chanting his name. And they knew coming off the field uh, for the last time that they were seeing one of the great players in recent NFL history. I don't know. What's your thought from afar about J.J. Watt, Miles? Well, I, you know, having covered Aaron Donald as closely as I did for years, I just get the sense that covering J.J. Watt was probably a lot like that in the sense that you know anytime that that dude steps on the field, you really might witness something special. I mean, this is one of the most dominant defensive players that we have ever seen. And, you know, that's probably the best moment in Texans franchise history back in the 2011 playoffs when he had that pick six off of the Bengals. I mean, I can't really think of many better moments in Houston Texans franchise history. Yeah. So. He's one of those guys that will be able to samba into the Hall of Fame and probably won't need much of a case when, you know, you're in the room voting for that, Peter. Yeah, it'll be uh, January of 2028 when um, someone, whether it be John McClain or somebody else, will present his case and you won't have to talk very long about J.J. Watt. Yeah. Well... Miles, thanks for helping me preview uh, wildcard weekend. We did a little bit of that. Thanks for looking in the rearview mirror, looking at the coaching situations, the five that are open, the thoughts that who knows what else will open. Uh, 
But it'll be interesting to watch this weekend because there's all, even though I think we both look at these six games and we don't really love any of them, something's going to happen. I don't know what it is, but something always happens to give these games uh, a little bit of juice coming down the stretch. But anyway, hope you enjoyed the pod this week. Thanks for experiencing it with me and Miles Simmons. And we look forward to seeing you again next week on another edition of the Peter King Podcast presented by Salesforce. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.